For more than 25 years, Atlanta has tuned into my straightforward financial advice. I'm Dr. Gene Hensler, and this is Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. My staff and I will give you fact-based, no-nonsense answers to your financial questions. To have your questions answered on the air, send them to me, Dr. Gene at Hensler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, September 21st, 2019. The only thing we have to fear... The economic health of this nation has been... ...for essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline... Greed in the dollar... It's a late rally on Wall Street... Too big to fail... Growing the economy... Growing the economy... It's amazing what's been going on with the economy. Welcome. Welcome. This is Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. What up, fam? You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most respected money show on the radio. I'm Troy Harmon here today with Casey Smith, who is a uh, managing associate in uh, Hensler Financial Financial planning department or uh, planning, planning and, and implementation. implementation so you can't i mean if you have a plan it's worthless unless you implement absolutely it, right? it's just a good doorstop at that right. point there we go kc uh, is a certified financial planner and uh, on the show with us is none other than dr roger tuttero and uh, dr tuttero i'll be honest with you i don't know just how to introduce you i do know that you are our uh, chief economic officer as well as the uh, uh, or chief economic advisor, yeah. uh, as Does that well make him as the CEO. Well, I mean, sure. Nah. Kind of low man on the totem pole <laughs> around here. If so. you've got uh, how much how much uh, alphabet soup you want to throw in behind your name, it's, nah. it's totally up to you. But no, uh, I mean, as you know, I've been an economics professor at KSU for correct. many times, on and off over the last twenty five years, and. Right. Uh, and and direct the econometric center there and been longtime friends with Hensler and was honored last year when the Hensler Financial uh, contributed uh, support to school and I hold the Hensler Financial Chair. There you go. Which is great. And so yeah. again, y'all have been longtime friends of KSU and I know you're appreciated broadly. Absolutely. So, uh, so uh, getting into the numbers, we um, always talk about the S&P 500. If you look year to date. We have a gain of 22% on the S&P 500. Technology is still the big leader, 32.8% or 32.7% on the year. Um, everything positive, all sectors positive. Uh, the worst of it is healthcare, who's up a measly 7.6%. Yeah. Um, real estate, which is a little strange, up 29.5% year to date, and. Uh, Communication services, that's uh, kind of a new one. It's the newest sector uh, as far as naming convention goes. Mm -hmm. um, moved uh, from just telecommunications to uh, include uh, who all's got in there now. We've got uh, still got the telecommunication companies, so right. AT&T, Verizon, mm -hmm. uh, but it also has Disney, um, what, Netflix. Yeah. There's various others. It's anybody it's that's Comcast in, in there. Yeah communication so. companies so it's going to be entertainment as well um if you look on the week we uh have got it'd be good if i kept up with my numbers a little <laughs> better right 20 basis points on the s p 500 it's been kind of a volatile week energy uh making a huge boost uh 1.99 percent um 
Utilities up 1.27% in real estate. Again, toward the top of that list, 1.2%. We do have some losers on the week. Communication services down 60 basis points, or 0.6%. Uh, consumer discretionary down 0.8%. And uh, consumer staples down 092 Now, it's a strange week when you have consumer staples losing and utilities gaining. Yeah, I was going to say, you see the dichotomy there between those two sectors that usually are pretty highly correlated, aren't exactly, they? Exactly, yeah. Um, you know, both are, both are known for their dividend payments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a staple-like business, meaning it's something that uh, we're going to pay no matter what. It, it's it's uh, not so sensitive to the business cycle as far as their operations go. Uh, if you look on the uh, on the year, the last 12 months, the market is up 5.8 percent. Uh, utilities, the big winner at 24.7 percent gain in real estate. Again, number two, 23.44 percent energy, the big loser, down 15 percent well, in the last. 12 a couple months. comments I'd make, Troy. You know, one of them is when we talk about the atypical uh, behavior of the staples moving opposite from the utilities this week. I think part of it is that there's a sense that a little bit more of the growth trade is on as opposed to those who are betting on the recession being a done deal. Right. And so, you know, typically you come out of growth and go into staples when you think recession is coming on and you go the other way. So I think that's an interesting thing. But, you know, I think you just made a great point. The key, though, is look over not the last or not not since the beginning of the year, but the last 12 months. Right. And, you know, it reminds us that those folks that were about ready to throw in the towel last December when the market corrected down, uh, they would have they would have missed an opportunity to make up all those losses by trying to time the market and get out at the right, right time. Yeah. And that's a lesson I know you guys have always been very good about trying to share with your clients and your listeners. Absolutely, yeah. We talk about the 10-year rule, ten rule around here a lot. Casey probably gets more opportunity than I do to talk to uh, clients and potential clients about that. But basically what we say is uh, in order to allow you to sleep at night, uh, we encourage uh, our clients that have spending needs that they would need to cover from their their invested assets we encourage them to put those uh 10 years worth of uh liquidity spending if you mm-hmm. will yep. uh into fixed income securities and the remainder of it leaving the equities market let us uh kind of manage the the uh sensitivity to the market in those equities so when we see uh economic downturns coming that we can Kind of get a little more conservative or, you know, stay the course with a, a market-related Yeah, return. we manage the risk in the equity side of the portfolio with the, you know, the, the sector allocations, the weightings within the Correct. various sectors that we're seeing. You know, we're sitting here um, today and recording this on a Thursday, but this is, you know, the, we're almost one year from the top of the market in 2018, almost exactly. It's yeah, not 920. Yeah. Uh, so so Friday will be 9:20. That's the the top of the market right. as of la- a year ago. So yeah, and from that point to December 24th of 2018, we lost almost 20 yeah, percent. 19.36 or something. Seven like that. eight. Seven eight. Was, okay. Yeah. So it, it's interesting if you look at the year, the the 12 month uh, returns on utilities compared to the year to date returns, almost identical. Would would indicate that your most of that return has come in the this year. You know you've got 
at the same time, those are the kind of companies that didn't fall as far when we had that, that pullback Absolutely. in the fourth quarter last year. Yeah, so and if we looked at a longer-term return, we'd probably see that utilities were outpacing the market by a pretty significant amount. Exactly. So, I mean, while we see technologies led the way over the past you know year-to-date, um, utilities leading the way uh, on the one year where technology is only about uh, 11 only. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty good return, 11.5%. Yeah, it's about what we would expect on an annual uh, return for the S&P 500. But of that, you know, 32% has come this year. So you t- uh, technology took a big hit at the, in the fourth quarter. So that's what I say when I mean we're, we're being strategic about how we allocate within the equity side. On the fixed income side, you know, that's relatively easy. If you do your planning right, you know how to how to allocate your money so that you're setting aside 10 years worth of liquidity uh, in fixed income investments. But on the equity side, we, we still want to manage that so that, um, you know, we're, we're in tune with the market um, and, and trying to go down not as far when the market's going down. And, and hopefully we can keep pace with it when the market's going up. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, a twofold uh, focus with the uh, inflation being at the center of both um you know you with the money that we have set aside for spending we want to make sure that we at least mark time with inflation if not a little better but we don't expect to uh you know set the world on fire with a with those investments and then uh, grow well so uh you know a focus again on inflation whereas we outpace inflation by a significant margin with those equity returns um, we do have some information uh, from the economy this week. Uh, retail sales growth slowed less than expected. Now, that's a, that's a mouthful of words. It means, <laughs> yeah, it's slowing, but not as bad as we thought. Uh, so uh, that was just for August. Sales grew at 0.4% following uh, July's revised 0.8% growth. So you can see it's still growing, but uh, not at quite a brisk, as brisk a pace um, in the economy, uh, big news yeah. out this week was FOMC monetary policy. And uh, Dr. Tuttero, you might have something to throw in here, but uh, basically we got a rate cut. We got a 0.25% uh, cut in uh, the overnight lending rate mm-hmm. from the Fed, and uh, it was expected. I look at the right. options all the time. Uh, you know, we had like a 96.3% probability of a rate cut going into uh, Wednesday when we right. saw that cut actually come to fruition. Uh, but it was kind of strange. We saw a lot of disagreement in the in the details. Well, you know, when when you're at a clear, um, when sometimes you're in a situation where it's clear where the economy's heading, and you get unanimity from the voting members of the FOMC. Uh, this is not one of those times. There were dissensions, uh, and one one uh, voter uh, actually wanted to have t- uh, a 50 basis point rate cut. Right. A couple did not want to cut. At and, all, right? At, at all, that's yeah. right. And, and I think to uh, to Chairman Powell's credit, he's trying to have a very open dialogue. And um, I, I personally think that the pressure for rate cuts is maybe a little bit overdone. Uh, but you were right. Fed funds futures had it all but a foregone conclusion they were going to cut rates. And now I think it's running about a about a 55, 60% chance they'll get another rate cut in one of the next two meetings. But, right, yeah. But, again, I try to caution people from pretending like we have too much clarity from those futures markets about the next year. If you go back to last December, Fed Funds Futures was handicapping three rate hikes in 2019. Correct. Yeah. So I think the futures markets are pretty good for the next meeting or two. Beyond that, 
I think they're so thinly traded that it's hard to give too much credibility to those probabilities. Yeah, I think December is when, you know, the right. actual numbers are uh, showing definite cut, probably around 60%. All right, well, we're going to take a real quick break here. You're listening to Money Talk. Stick around. Uh, we'll come back with a uh, case study. Get with it, girl. Get bang, bang. Did you know that nearly 11% of residents and 12% of children in Cobb County live below the poverty line? That's thousands of families doing without, which is especially sad during the holidays. The Center for Family Resources has been bringing the community together to collect food items for low-income families in Cobb County for over 30 years. Through our Thanks for Giving program, we provide holiday food boxes during the Thanksgiving break filled with ingredients for families to cook their own traditional holiday meal. Plus, since Thanksgiving, we can put an extra strain on a family's food budget while children are home from school. We provide extras like breakfast foods, pasta, and peanut butter for those added meals. How can you help? Go to the CFR.org to volunteer, raise money, or start a drive through your business, church, neighborhood, or civic organization or school. That's the CFR.org, and thanks for giving. You This is the dog. The dog of the week. All right, dog of the week this week. Uh, as you might know, if you've listened to us for a little while, I like to throw uh, throw barbs at technology and various other things. This time, uh, our Amish friends are getting into the the technological uh, space, and uh, it, it's not in a, the best of ways. So, some deputies out of Ohio uh, ran across a a buggy that they noticed had a, a 12 pack of beer sitting on top uh Amish going down the road uh they lit it up uh two gentlemen we'll call them exited from the buggy the horse kept going uh turned off on a side road uh they couldn't find the two gentlemen who they believed to have been Amish uh so if now that's a pretty good cover my, well, I guess, yeah, and uh, you know, so so what happened? Uh, the horse uh, finally stopped after it took a turn heading toward the barn. Uh, you know, it's always said, and I, I even talk about this. Sometimes, you know, you get driving and not thinking too well. I'll go home. I I just drive straight home. If I'm supposed to make a couple of stops on the way, um, you know, it it happens. So I always tell people, you know, my. My mule knows the way to the barn, and uh, it sounds like in this case he did too. So police can't catch the two offenders uh, who they believe were probably operating a, a vehicle while intoxicated. Um, Wait, hang on. Does a horse and buggy count as a vehicle? Uh, well, it's a vehicle. You're using it for transportation. Wow. Okay. I mean, aren't you? I mean, Well, yeah, but the, the, the good part hadn't come yet. So <clears throat> when they got it stopped... They hauled the buggy in. Uh, they figured they got somebody to take care of the horse, and they hauled the buggy to the to the police station. They figured that at some point one of the folks was going to confess to the to their crime and uh, show up and want their assets back. Hasn't happened yet, but the buggy was rigged with a huge stereo system. <laughs> so. So this is uh this is a violation not only of state law or yeah, state law, 
but also uh, potentially the the uh, uh, religious laws of uh, of the Amish community. Uh, it's, it's just really strange. But if you that think about this from a legal point of view, Casey, you've already been questioning what is the situation with uh, with the DUI. If the horse keeps going and goes a mile or two down the road, takes a left, and you finally get it to stop, wasn't the horse driving? Yeah. And was he intoxicated? It's an autonomous vehicle. I'm telling you, I think uh, I think there's probably an attorney out there in Ohio that is going to have fun with this that, case. That sounds like a good one. I, yeah. I'm looking. We need to pro- stay up on this and provide an update in a you know, uh, yeah. Whenever you I mean, figure well, out the verdict of this, because yeah. I would like to know. Once in a while, we do get one that uh, you know that has has a uh, has a, an update. I yeah. I remember covering the the case where we found a 90 year old man who was acting as a mule for a drug cartel. Oh, and yeah. I, I encourage people to make sure that they uh, do their financial planning properly so that they don't get in that situation <laughs> where they feel pressured. That's right. And didn't it become a movie later? I think Clint Eastwood actually played the 90-year-old man. <laughs> anyway, you never know where, where your dog of the week might turn no, up next. Exactly. But, uh, this week it was a not so much a dog, maybe a horse of the week we could call horse it. Horse of the week. Yeah, all right. Well, uh you know, putting putting back on our financial slash economist hat, we did have a couple of things that we wanted to cover, uh, economic releases um, for the week, uh, one of which was retail. Uh, well, we talked about that one, didn't we? Yeah, before the break, we referenced retail sales, but I right. guess I would step back to it for a moment and say it's it's really good to see several strong months from retail sales because, if you recall, last December, we got a very pronounced monthly drop. Now, it's a seasonally adjusted basis, sure. but the pullback in retail sales last December was a little bit unnerving, and that's clearly still affecting the year-over-year comparisons. But the other interesting part is that part of the gain in the retail sales was strong performance uh, at the vehicle dealers, and that had been one of our concerns going into 2019 is that the pace of motor vehicle consumption uh, was expected to moderate, and it has done to some degree but it's good news to see that that part of the retail sales is holding up okay. Uh, obviously, consumer sentiment uh, dropped back in August, and the preliminary read for September is, is, is maintaining where it was. Uh, we're still in what we would consider a normal range, but it's it's back. It's it's the lowest it's been since probably the summer of 2016. Yeah. Nothing problematic, but a little bit of the euphoria has worn off, and we worry about that as you and I talk about Main Street America is best reflected probably in the consumption and retail sales data. Right, yeah. Uh, one thing that I have noticed, and this this still seems to be the case, uh, the current situation, the, the uh, polling always has two uh, aspects. One is the current situation. The other is the expectations. Right. The current situation has been strong, the stronger the two for quite some time. Uh, and expectations, I guess, because we hear on the news about uh, trade wars and, you know, some of the things that don't seem to be positives, uh, you know, the consumer has been expecting a slowdown. But I really believe the consumer is, is uh, one of the main keys to, to our economic growth. As long as we, uh, you know, as long as they continue to purchase, and why would they continue to purchase? Well, they all have jobs. We've got low employment or uh, unemployment numbers, right? As well as um, you know, their wages are beginning to grow as well. And you're right. In the Michigan survey, there's five questions that drive the index. Two of them are current condition questions. Three are forward-looking expectation questions. And so, you know, coverage of news stories and the debate we have about trade and tariffs, all these things clearly can weigh on consumer expectations. 
But it is also worth noting that's the component of the, of the um, sentiment numbers that is one of the ten leading economic indicators. And so it's the forward-looking part, so we do want to continue to keep our eye on that. Right. But at the end of the day, I think you're right. I think nothing probably sways consumer confidence more than am I employed and do I have good job security. And I think uh, it is a good time to be on the worker side of the equation right now. Yeah, no doubt. All right, um, moving on, we've got uh, we've got a situation we wanted to talk about this week. And, um, <clears throat> Casey, I know we're going to lean pretty heavily on you for this one, but I uh, wanted to kind of get the discussion going. Um, you know, we've got a uh, um, couple that uh, we had talked about last week with uh, – um, with uh, you know traditional versus a, a Roth yeah. 401k, but uh, this week we've got Dana and Chris, uh, ages 29 and 31, uh, who have access to 401k plans through their employers, and they're still under the income limits for deductible IRAs and Roth 401ks. Right. Uh, they've intended to save both their uh, to to both of their employer plans. Uh, so they can get the matching contribution. That's always a, a wise thing. Yep. Uh, and they actually have room to save more. So it's pretty strange you'd run across a couple who's actually excited to save more money. Yeah. But in this case, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a great thing. So uh, the question is, do they opt for more uh, money to be saved in their 401k? Do they use a Roth 401k, or do they look toward uh, saving outside of the IRA and Roth? Um, 401ks and put it into a Roth or IRA, sure. a tr you know, a traditional IRA. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, and we get this question a lot, uh, whether it's about converting existing IRA assets into Roth IRA assets or, or 401ks, what have you. In this case, it's really about, okay, we're already contributing up to the match, which, as you mentioned, Troy, that's step one. You You want to do that regardless or you're leaving free money on the table. So now the question is, okay, two two questions really. Number one, which vehicle do I use? Is it the 401k or is it the IRA? Does it really matter? And then the second question is, once you've honed in on which vehicle you want to use, is it the tr the traditional or the Roth uh, variation on that vehicle? Um, you know, since they're already contributing, they're getting their match on the 401k. I mean, my advice would be go ahead and look at just doing a Roth a regular IRA, uh, but the Roth version of that. And the reason I say that is for a couple of things. Number one, they're in a relatively low tax bracket. Um, it says that here that their AGI is 102000 So they're, they're going to be, number one, eligible to do the Roth directly, which if your income is above a certain threshold, you're not able to, to contribute to the Roth anymore. Um, it's like $193,000. Um, so they are in that window that they can do the Roth. The other thing is, you can use a Roth almost like an emergency reserve, if you will. Your contributions are always available to come back to you tax-free, or you've already paid the tax, so it's not really tax-free, but you get your money back, and there's no penalty for that. So um, you could really use it as a as a savings vehicle and think of it as sort of an emergency fund, if you will. Um, so I would contribute the the max to the Roth to the extent that they have the ability to do so, the other reason that I like the Roth in, as opposed to a traditional IRA or putting more into the 401k is they're not getting that much benefit from the tax deduction um, from either the IRA or the, the pre-tax contribution to the 401k, whereas their their income, their marginal bracket is around 22%. So that means their effective rate is going to be 
much lower than that. I didn't do the math to know what that is, but it's probably be under the 15%, you know, capital gains rate. So you're you're be able to get that money into a vehicle that will grow tax-free for a long time at a very cheap cost. Um, you know, if somebody was older and they were in a higher tax bracket, it may not make as much sense because they don't have the time horizon. They don't have the, uh, they may be in a higher bracket, so it's going to cost them more. But so I, I would look at the Roth as kind of the next option to go to, which you have, they can contribute up to 6000 um, at their ages. You could do a $1,000 more if you're 50 or older. So that's where I would start if I was Chris and Dana in this situation. Yeah, I've got a little bit to add to that, but uh, we do need to take a bit of a break. Um, when we come back, I'll tell you a little more about uh, why I think that the uh, IRA is probably a better option, too. Stick around. You're listening to Money Talks. I'm Troy Harmon here with Casey Smith and Dr. Roger Cuttero. I've uh, been talking about uh, various things, economics, uh, some financial wisdom Casey uh, gave us. If uh, you have your own questions you would like for us to answer on the air, you can always contact us through our question hotline at one 429 9166 The way it works, you give us a call, you listen to our recording uh, leave your own, including the question that you would like for us to answer. Kelly Lynn, our producer, gets uh, the question to the panel, uh, and we answer right behind your question. Um, if you'd like to call and talk to a human, Kelly Lynn would also be the one to talk to. Uh, you can call, ask for our radio show. The phone number there is 770-429-9166. Or you can email us at drgene at hensler.com. That's spelled D-R-G. H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. Uh, you can also go to our website, Hensler.com, spelled the same way, H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com, uh, and you can find various answers to broad financial topics. If it's real specific, you'll probably have to contact us, but otherwise, you know, there's lots of information that our marketing department has loaded up for you. Um, and uh, Casey, when, uh, when we were talking about uh, our situation this week with Dana and Chris, uh, you mentioned that it was best, in your opinion, to go with uh, with the IRA instead of a 401k after you get all of the all of the matches. Uh, matching is, I mean, that's easy returns. Yeah, it's 100 percent return right there. Exactly. Yeah, on a portfolio, why in the world would you not get the the employer match. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that I would make a point of is I'm the investment guy, so I always like to see just what your options are. Usually a 401k is going to be mutual funds only. Usually, yeah. Um, you seldom have those that are that are uh, open to allow you to get out and invest in various other things. If that be the case, I would say the IRA is better because you can open that account and uh, invest in basically individual stocks, exchange-traded funds, mutual funds if you wish, uh, but you do have a lot more options. You could buy individual bonds if you wanted as well. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it gives you more flexibility, the ability to access your money, you know, f- earlier in the case of the Roth and the traditional, yeah. you still would have to wait till 59 and a half before you could take it out without penalty. Without penalty. The other thing with a... And you know, tax. And, and tax, that's right. You're going to pay tax on it because it's pre-tax when it goes in. Yeah, you're going to pay tax no matter what, but the penalty is the strange yeah. thing. You're going to pay tax on either one of these. It's just when do you pay the tax? Correct. <laughs> do you pay it yeah. on the front end or the back end? Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing with the with the 401k, and, and we didn't really talk about, we, we mentioned that they're contributing up to the match. It doesn't indicate whether they're doing the traditional or the Roth. You know, if either in either case, your match more than likely is going to be traditional. Um, right. You know, I don't believe that there's a legal requirement. Um, there may be some plan-specific things that, that require the employer to match to the traditional portion of the 401k. But if you think about it, if they were to contribute to the Roth portion, then it would not be deductible to the business. So why would they do that? Correct. <laughs> so most of the time you're going to see, if even if you're doing the Roth 401k option, you're going to get that matching contribution. It's going to go into that traditional bucket. So you will have to pay tax on that when you pull it out You know, at ordinary income rates, and the Roth can go, um, will be tax-free. Yeah, and still the the uh, withdrawal age is going to be intact and all the rest. Yeah, of that. exactly, right. and yeah, all of the the normal requirements. But just wanted to point that out, and uh, and you know, we're happy to help if you, if you need to make this decision because it is kind of case specific. It depends on what your personal circumstances are. Um, so give us a call seven seven zero four two nine nine one six six. There you go. Ask for Casey Smith. He can always help you with those sorts of questions. Uh, we got a few questions we uh, picked up from listeners here and there. Uh, we would like to answer. Uh, we'll start with William from Roswell, who says, um, "I'm looking to purchase shares of Woodward. Prices down in the last month, and analysts seem to think it's a buy. However, it's also considered overvalued at the moment." Uh, what do I really listen to? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things to consider. Number one, I would say, is valuation. It gives you kind of a sense of uh, whether or not something is buyable and whether or not it might go up. Um, even if stocks look expensive, I'll tell you this. This is this is my own personal uh, pitfall. When I look at a company like Nike, uh, it looks expensive. I've thought Nike's a great company for a long time, but <clears throat> I've never been able to pull the trigger to buy shares in the company because it always looks expensive. However, you see earnings grow and the price continues to go up. Uh, you know, I generally tend to be a value investor, so that's that's probably the one thing that I'll tell you. Valuation is very important to me, but don't, uh, don't overlook the fact that uh, you're dealing with a company that's uh, very profitable, um, you know, and, and if the uh, earnings continue to grow, then you're in a good spot. Uh, with Woodward, Um, If you want to know exactly what they do, they manufacture and service uh, control solutions for aerospace and industrial markets worldwide. Uh, This is one of those that, uh, you know, it does look relatively expensive to me. But if you dig a little deeper, um, who are their customers? Uh, First of all, GE makes up 16% of the revenue, Boeing at 12%, United Technologies at 6.2%. And the U.S. government at 6.1. Now, if you wanted to buy into Boeing, they obviously have some issues. And those issues could impact the business of Woodward. But I think it's always a good thing to look beyond just the, the company that you're trying to buy. Look at who it is that they service and who they rely on for revenues. Um, in this case, if you look at them relative to 
a GE or a Boeing, in my opinion, they look a lot better. But it's not a great thing that both of their their uh, largest revenue generators are having their own having issues right now. Yeah. yeah so uh, I think you know if you look at it, <clears throat> the uh, they're they're uh, better managed the debt on Boeing debt to equity four thousand eighty five percent. Can you believe that Boeing is that <laughs> leveraged? It's yeah, unbelievable. That's insane. Um, but uh, at the moment, I think I think it'll be a, you know, this is an okay purchase. Um, but I really do believe the basic uh, question you had is what do I really listen to? Uh, check out the fundamentals. If profitability looks good and the and the earnings are growing, um, you know, you might hold your nose sometimes and buy something at a little bit of a heightened valuation. But when you guys a lot of times look at the peg ratio, right? right. So price yeah, to earnings absolutely. over the growth. So I mean, right. if, if and that's the, growth, the forward PE. Forward PE. Yeah. So it's the, current the price divided by expected earnings in 12 months divided by the expected growth. Correct. So I mean, that number gives you a real feel for how the earnings are expected to grow relative to what the price is relative to the earnings as well. So all of those factors taken into consideration and you would say if the peg ratio is what below one then that's yeah, really around right. one is usually good this one is 1.47 which is actually in, better in, than the market right yeah, now with the market being so hot right now it's it's hard to find anything at one right exactly yeah so and again we think about valuations, valuations are relative right in the sense they of absolutely say are. if you're in a very low interest rate environment then one would expect that the price earnings ratio would be a little bit higher right because in theory at least what are we doing with price we're capitalizing some stream of earnings or profits or something like that yeah no doubt um in this case you know i think uh if if you were going to do it uh, maybe go slow into into uh uh, Woodward, the symbol, by the way, is WWD for those who are, you know, want to follow along a little bit. <clears throat> but uh, uh, the other thing I would say, and now, KC, this is kind of back into the financial planner world. If you have a stock that you really like, uh, all except for the price, maybe a DCA strategy. So you can dollar cost average into the price. Uh, you know, and not worry so much if if you think that it's going to fluctuate significantly over the yeah. you know, over the the future. If you get volatility, that's going to reduce your average cost per share, and so that in theory would be the way to go. I mean, if if it continues to go higher from when you start doing that and never has any dips, then that won't work. But exactly, yeah, DCA doesn't work <laughs> when, when if the, the price, price never just goes, goes down. Up. Exactly. Uh, but no, it's a it's a good way to kind of. Um, get into a stock that you like or a, a mutual fund works well for mutual funds um, over over a period of time. Exactly. All right, we've got uh, another one here. We might not get all the way through this, but I'm going to go ahead and we'll start the conversation. Brian from Marietta says, uh, a friend talked me into buying Alibaba a few years back, the spring of 2017. Uh, they haven't performed that well, although I do have a gain. Uh, now I'm seeing more Hong Kong protests and trade war escalation. Do I have anything to worry about? Uh, I see it's still considered a buy, and it's undervalued. Now, I'm... To be honest with you, when it comes to Chinese stocks, it's a struggle for me to ever tell somebody to buy it because, uh, just to be frank with you, I don't trust the numbers. I I seldom trust the the reporting out of a a Chinese company. There's something weird going on with Alibaba, too, at the moment. Um, Their CEO uh, recently retired, uh, and he retired to become a school teacher. 
I would think. Well, that, we know that's everyone's dream, right? <laughs> some of yeah. us get the brass ring and some don't. <laughs> yeah, having one in the room, I, you know, I, I, uh, I think it's, I think it's interesting though that you go from a high-powered technology company to a right. school teacher. There's something, and and there's already some rumors that this might have been, you know, a man that got too powerful, so he's been kind of brushed back by the Chinese government. Well, it, it is a global company, but I, but I think it's fair also to say that there's a lot of turmoil in China now. Some of right. it's trade-related. Some of it is social discontent. That plays into things. Uh, you know, you always have foreign currency issues. Uh, depends on it, when you look at the financials, what how they're denominated. And, you know, that's the thing to remember about uh, profits earned abroad have to be converted back into dollars at some point. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, and in those cases, I guess to make it simple... Uh, for listeners, is when you invest in a company that that is uh, most of its operations are outside the United States, you want their currency to appreciate or strengthen relative to the dollar as much as possible, just as you would their earnings. So, you know, when you do translate that back into dollars, you get more dollars, right? So, uh, I'll be honest, I think it's probably going to be best to go ahead and take your profit. And uh, especially with you've, when you've got the CEO stepping down, and I'm using air quotes here, um, when it when it seems like something's just really strange going on with the Alibaba right now, so uh, that is uh, that's that's probably going to be my absolute best uh, recommendation for for the investors. All right, we're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, we'll answer a few more financial questions. Stick around. You're listening to Money Talks. This is Money Talks. We're back. I'm Troy Harmon. While we had Casey Smith on the air a few minutes ago, he uh, he had to run away from us. I'm not sure. Was he intimidated or? Probably a, uh, a financial planning emergency, I would think. <laughs> yes, so, that's that's um, one thing that's uh, absolutely paramount around here. It's it's funny you say that because uh, I know Dr. Gene always says that uh, there's really no such animal as a financial emergency. So. <laughs> um, usually if you plan well, there's not. Yeah. Uh, if uh, if you have questions for us, we'd love to hear from you. You can call our question hotline, 1-855-429-9166, or uh, you can talk to a human, 770-429-9166. Uh, you can email us, drgenehensler.com, which is D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com, or you can go to our website, hensler.com, Hensler uh, Financial. Um, we... Uh, like to try to provide as much education as possible for those uh, that are clients or, you know, in the community. Obviously, there's no cost to go to the website, no cost to ask your questions and get them answered on the air. Um, I uh, am still honored to have Dr. Roger Tuttero in the house. And uh, Dr. Tuttero, there's a couple of things that, uh, that have happened this week. First of all, I know you're pretty in tune with Georgia economics, and uh, most of what I look at is is on the national level. But I I wanted to give you the opportunity if you had anything to add to the conversation about Georgia economics. Sure, um, Georgia's doing pretty well. We're up about seventy five thousand jobs over the last twelve months statewide. Uh, it's been an interesting past dozen years or so. 
During the Great Recession, we lost more jobs than the national average. We were actually among the 10 states that lost the most right. because of our exposure to residential real estate. And then through that, uh, the carpet industry in northwest Georgia, and then, of course, financial services with community bank failures. Right. But we've done quite well as of the last five years, and we're among the top, I would say, 12 states over the last five or six years in terms of job creation. Yeah. And that's something certainly to be glad about. Uh, that having been said, now that we're in the 11th year of this economic expansion, it's not unusual to see kind of some regional convergence of economic performance. And I think Georgia's probably moving you know, closer to the national average in terms of pace of job creation. Yeah. Good news is if you look around the state, for the most part, uh, other than probably three MSAs, most of the cities are right side up now. Many more people working there than were working before the Great Recession. Yeah. Obviously, in places like Dalton, where the carpet industry was so important, it got hit so hard, we're not yet quite back to break even. We've recut the losses by more than half. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I, you know, just to kind of follow on to that, I think, didn't we have um, higher unemployment uh, during the recession, and we've come back now to where we're kind of in the ballpark we did. of the national average. Well, that's right. And, you know, we, nationwide and here in Georgia, we were up at 10% or higher uh, during the worst part of the Great Recession. We've cut back down. We're down 4% roughly or below nationwide and, and, and close to that in Georgia. Um, I try not to lead too much into whether Georgia's a couple tenths above or below because we, because we are a big beneficiary of internal migration in the U.S., that means our labor force is growing faster than some other states. Right. Uh, in fact, if you look in 2018, we were among the, the 10 states that got the greatest in-migration of population. Uh, you contrast that with states like um, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois, where there's net outflows of population. And that also gets weighed into your unemployment numbers. Because if people are moving there, then your labor force is growing. So you're likely to have at least some transitory unemployment. Yeah, I'm, I'm usually one that can easily get bogged down into conversations that might not mean a whole lot. And I always talk about that. You're talking about uh, transitory uh, labor force. Um, I always talk about the fact when I grew up in the 60s and 70s, uh, we didn't have air conditioning, and I was right here in Cobb County. So uh, <laughs> when we got air conditioning, I think people decided maybe Georgia was inhabitable. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure on, on top of the fact that we got some tax breaks, uh, or corporations got tax breaks, it uh, it really has made a huge difference, and that continues to today. Right. I mean, I think the things that have made Georgia, and particularly Metro Atlanta, a good business location are still very much in place. P uh, reputation for being pro-growth, pro-business. Right. Um, investments that we've made in transportation certainly help, and and really access to labor and labor with the right skill set is still a dominant consideration when business decide where to locate. Yeah, cost of living is great in Georgia Ab relative absolutely. to other places in the nation as well. Uh, there was one other thing that I wanted to bring up. Now, uh, last Thursday, uh, you know, at this point, Thursday was a, almost a week and a half ago, uh, we started seeing uh, a, an interest rate increase uh, among repos. That's uh, right. repurchase agreements on, on uh, usually it's treasury bonds. Right. Um, and, and uh, you know, even the Fed came out and talked about how they were trying to combat the the or the yield increase on those bonds. Do you have anything to add? Maybe? Sure. One of the things to remember is when the Fed comes out and announces that they're raising or cutting the short-term interest rate, they're actually moving their target. And the Fed funds rate, which is the rate that banks charge each other for, for reserves, is a market rate. 
And so what the Fed actually does is announce their target, and then they intervene in open markets to either um, add or retract liquidity to try to get the market rate in that range. So what we saw last week was a spike in the Fed funds rate as a lot of reserves left the banking system. Now, the most common um, um, explanation is that with September 15th was when the corporate income tax payments were due, and so a lot of corporations likely wired money out of their accounts to the Treasury. And when it goes to Treasury, it goes into their accounts with the Fed, and for as long as it's over there, it's no longer in the banking system. So it's not a reserve at that point. That's right. And okay. so what the repurchase agreements do is they allow the Fed to inject more reserves back into the banking system without getting in the gory me mechanics to destroy. It's like if I were to want to borrow $1,000 from you, then what I might do is um, sell you a bond for $995, and at the same time execute an agreement where I agree to buy it back for a thousand uh, tomorrow. Right. Well, what I've done then is we effectively we've loaned money and it's been secured by the Treasury security. Uh, but there's some other technical bankruptcy advantages too in terms of if for some reason one party went into bankruptcy, it may not necessarily stay it. So those repo agreements and the reverse repos are a very common way for the Fed to inject, inject and retract the liquidity from the banking system. Right, and the, the yields that we were talking about were uh, 2 to 2.25% two at the time that we started having those, those right. uh, strange occurrences, and, and the yields went from about 2.3% up to over 10% at one point. For a very short period of time, yeah. and then they, then they settle them back down. There's really kind of you know, two, two main tools the Fed has used to keep the, the Fed funds rate in that range. One of them is paying interest on excess reserves that banks carry. The other one is the repo market, the reverse repos. Yeah, so. So, so it's really nothing major to be concerned about. It's hard to determine exactly what might have caused this, though. Well, you know, you know, there's 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 a lot of you know there's a lot of treasury uh, issues that came to the market as well, and that also can can create its own disturbances. I think part of it is we really haven't been in a situation where the Fed's had to talk about injecting liquidity like that in a while. And, you know, we used to use the old language of monetary economics. We used to talk about defensive market um, operations right. in which you're going in and you're just trying to take positions against where market forces are taking things. And I think that's a little bit of what they were doing yesterday. All right. So, um, you know, they even talked specifically about they're going to have some actions to take in days to come as well. Right. So and they're, and they're, they're right on top of it. They've got yeah. pros managing it. Yeah, it you should know, be settling. Before we wrap, let me throw on the way out the door a quick um, shout out to the passage of Boone Pickens last week. Absolutely. And not only was he a real visionary with regard to energy, but also a great shareholder of rights at Absolutely. Dr. Gene was on a TV show with him one time and accidentally called him T-Bone Pickens. His name was T-Boone Pickens. Uh, that's Dr. Gene for you. All right. Uh, you've been listening to Money Talks. I'm going to tell you the market's up next week. And Dr. Tedrow won't tell you anything. He likes the economy, but not the market. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. 
It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.